Well, open your Bibles to Mark 13 this morning. Mark chapter 13. Are you awake? Good, that's good, because we have a passage in front of us this morning that commands you to stay awake, not just during the sermons, but in general. In general, in light of the fact that Jesus Christ, your Redeemer, is coming again. We are in uh, coming to the end of a very significant section of teaching that Jesus has been doing with the disciples. It is called the Olivet Discourse. It's it's called that because it was given on the on the Mount of Olives. It's recorded in three of the Gospels: Matthew 24, Luke 21, and Mark 13. So that tells us it's very important. It is the longest uh, specific discourse that Jesus gives in an answer to question. Longest teaching that we have recorded in, in the Gospel of Mark in the New Testament. And it was prompted because the disciples are trying to figure out exactly what's, what's going on. We are in the middle of the Passover week. There's been a, been a lot that, that has happened and the disciples have come to, to Passover, they've come to Jerusalem with Jesus, and what they expected whenever they got there is very different from what, what actually took place. The disciples knew that God had promised a kingdom to Israel, but when they arrived, that's not exactly what, what happened. They probably thought it was starting well, because when Jesus comes in on Sunday, what we call Palm Sunday, He's hailed as the Messiah, Right? Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so they probably thought at that moment, this is wonderful, here it is, it's coming. And instead of setting up his kingdom and overthrowing the Romans, the Messiah curses apostate Israel and overthrows the temple rulers. (laughs) Kind of a curveball, don't you think? He curses the fig tree that represents Israel because there was no fruit. Apostate Israel, obviously. He cleanses the temple and says it's a den of thieves. He's supposed to curse Rome, and he's supposed to promote the temple. And he does exactly the opposite. And then, instead of taking his seat in the temple and setting up the kingdom, he declares the temple is going to be torn down after he he preaches and teaches in the temple and communicates the gospel probably for the first time in, in a long time, at least as far as the rulers we're concerned. He says it's going to be tor- torn down and no stone will be, will be left standing. That's quite of a shocking, uh, quite of a shocking message to the, to the disciples. So they ask him two questions. And we've already been over this, but it's in verse 4 if you want to look at it. Tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled. When... And what? When's the kingdom coming? When's this judgment that you're talking about coming? What will be the sign? How will we know whenever this is taking place? And Jesus tells the disciples that the kingdom is coming, but there's going to be a pause between the first time He comes and the second time He comes. 
And he answers those questions in three parts. He talks about the present, what they're to be doing while they're waiting. We, we looked at that in verses 3 through 13. Things are going to continue as they have since the fall. Last week, we, we looked at the second part of his answer, which is the future. The future's coming, the future tribulation. It's in verses 14 through 23. And then the last part of his answer we're going to see this morning, the the second coming, His return, in verses 24 through 37. In response to their questions, Jesus says the kingdom is coming, but it's not coming yet. There's going to be uh, catastrophes and counterfeits and wars and persecutions, and it's going to come on those who follow Him. That's exactly what has been taking place since the beginning, since the fall. That's going to continue until this time called the Great Tribulation, or as the Old Testament called it, the Day of the Lord, when when God's going to pour out His wrath upon the unbelieving uh, unbelieving earth. It's going to be the time of Jacob's trouble to prepare Israel for the kingdom. And when those things are completed, then the kingdom is is coming. And what we're going to see today is in this final section is Jesus gives... Gives, gives some specific implications and application related to a fig tree and, and commands. He gives the sign that triggers the tribulation period. It's the abomination of desolation. And now he specifically tells them what to expect at the very end, which brings about his, his return. They're to beware for, of counterfeits. They're to be not to be frightened by the hardships. They're to be aware, uh, be aware that opposition is going to come. They're going to be uh, there to be busy witnessing, because all of these things are going to happen. But now this morning he shows exactly what his coming will will be like, and that begins in verse twenty four through verse thirty seven that Clay read for us. When Clay began to read, I was expecting Ryan Wood because Ryan was supposed to read this morning. But he got his eye bashed in last week, this past week, playing basketball. And whether it's Clay or whether it's Ryan, we have the Word of the Living God in front of us. And the Bible tells us it has authority. Jesus, at least twice in this passage, reminds us of authority. Look at verse 23. He says, Take heed, behold, I've told you everything in advance. You need to pay attention and you need to trust because... I've told you everything in advance. This morning, Jesus is going to say, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. There is there's absolute, unshakable authority in the word of God. And to the extent that you build your life upon the word, whether it's present or build your life upon looking for what is coming, it's like building your life on a rock rather than, than on the sand. Here is how I would outline... The passage, pretty, pretty straightforward. Jesus gives the sign of His return. And in showing them that, He talks about the sign of His appearing in verses 24 through 27. He then talks about the season of His approaching. That's the, the parable of the fig tree. And then He gives a message to the servants who are awaiting. That's in verse 33 through, through 37 where He says, Stay awake. Stay awake. Be alert. And we'll see what that means to us whenever we get there. Let's look at the first thing that he teaches the disciples and us 
he talks about the sign of, of His appearing. And that begins in verse 24. Look at verse 24. Jesus says, But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers that are in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming. Jesus begins to, uh, or uh, I should say, continues answering their question. He talks about when. He correct, corrects their chronology to begin with. And now he starts talking about the signs. He's already told them that the Great Tribulation is coming. It's going to be like Daniel foretold. It's, it's going to be traumatic. It's going to be terrifying. It's going to be a time like never before. But now he begins to answer the question about the signs for his return. And he starts with the, with the order of his appearing. And after the order, he covers a couple more things that we'll look at. He starts with the order. He specifically says it's coming, his coming is after the tribulation. You can see that very clearly in verse 24. But in those days, after the tribulation, will be the coming of the Son of Man. Matthew says immediately after the tribulation. So it's in close proximity to the tribulation period. We saw last week, Daniel says there's a 70th week coming. There's 69 weeks from the time that uh, the rebuilding of the temple until the Messiah comes, 483 years. That's 69 times 7. And then there's the 70th week, or seven years. That's the tribulation period. And Jesus says it's going to be a time like, like never before. We, we saw that in verse 14 through verse 23. Three and a half years, the Antichrist will deceive the world and rise. Three and a half years, he'll oppress the world. And the trigger point will be the abomination of desolation that Jesus mentions. And now, he specifically tells them his return will be at the end of this time. That's what he means by in those days. In verse 24, but in those days. In what days? In the days that he just got done describing. Days like never before, days like that have not been since creation or ever will be. Days that were inaugurated or, or begin with the abomination of desolation. The days immediately following the, the period that, that he just described. It's crystal clear. Tribulation first and second coming after that. That's what Jesus says. I have no idea how people get this messed up and say there's no tribulation or there's no kingdom or that Jesus has already come. I mean, it's, it's plain as day right here in verse 24. He says a period foretold from the Old Testament is coming, and he says he will come after that. This has nothing to do with the rapture. This is about the second coming of Christ. And he says, after he gets the order, he sets the order for them, he says that they'll know what's coming because of this ominous forecast he gives this forecast of what they will see in the heavens. Look at verse 24. After the tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from the heaven. And the powers that are in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man. Here's the forecast. Here's what it's going to look like at the end of the tribulation period. And all of this language is, is a is borrowed from the Old Testament. The sun will be darkened. That comes right out of Joel chapter 2 and chapter 3. Stars falling from, from heaven. In verse 25, that's from Isaiah 34. The Son of Man coming in clouds. That's Daniel chapter 7. 
The Bible tells us the final days of the tribulation will involve cataclysmic events. This is not just the Romans rolling into Jerusalem, as horrible as that was, and destroying the temple. This is the sun going black, the stars falling from the heaven. That's never taken place. Hasn't taken place up to this point. But Jesus says it will. And He says, I've told you these things beforehand so you can trust, trust your Bible. Jesus says, during the tribulation, the heavens that have been constant will be altered. When you woke up this morning, did you wake up wringing your hands wondering if the sun was going to be in the sky? Whenever you went to bed last night, did, did you may have wondered whether it was a full moon or a partial moon or a waning moon or whatever all of those, those wonderful things are. But, but you didn't wonder whether the moon was going to be in the sky. You, you might have wondered whether you could see it or not, but you never wondered whether it would, would be there. And Jesus says, in this time, the heavens that have been constant will be altered. The sun will be darkened. The moon, which gets its light from the sun, will go black as well. And the stars will all be out of orbit and they'll hurl in space. And that makes perfect sense. You say, how could that be? That sounds very fanciful. It makes perfect sense because the sun's mass makes it the, the dominant gravitational force in the solar system. Mass and the distance between something is what, is what uh, creates the, the gravitational pull that's there. And when the sun goes dark, its mass is affected and it throws everything in chaos. I mean, you think if the, if the sun goes black, the gravity is thrown out of whack. And Jesus says all of the stars of heaven and the powers that are in the heaven will be shaken. It, it means the powers that hold the heavenly bodies in their orbit will be altered. And they'll move. And they won't move in a good direction. And all of this is exactly as Isaiah predicted. It's a part of the day of the Lord in Isaiah chapter 13. Listen to this parallel. Wail for the day of the Lord is near. It will come as a destruction from the Almighty. Therefore, all hands will fall limp and every heart will melt. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel with fury and burning anger, to make the land a desolation. He will exterminate its sinners from it. And this one is up on your screen. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not flash forth their light. The sun will be darkened. It will be dark when it rises and the moon will not shed its light. Thus, I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. This is not for the church. This is for the wicked world. Do you see that? This is exactly what we, we've been detailing in Revelation. It's terrifying. It's so terrifying that God even builds three interludes, three pauses in Revelation, because you can't take it in. You can't take even reading a book that promises blessing. You can't take the blow by blow by blow of the judgment that's coming without being able to take a breather, because it just it overwhelms you. And just as you wouldn't go to the beach when a tsunami was bearing down upon it, you don't want to be on the earth. When this happens. But those who are there will see the sign the disciples asked about. Look, if you would, at verse 26. Here's the sight of His appearing. Then they will see. 
in those days, after those days, those days of the tribulation. Here's what it's going to look like at the end of the tribulation. And then they will see. What will they see? They'll see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then He will send forth, when the Son of Man comes, He'll send forth the angels and will gather His elect, His chosen ones from the four winds, from the farthest end of the earth to the farthest end of heaven. And notice there's another time reference here. Then, when's then? When these final events of the tribulation happen. But notice something else. Whoa, this is interesting. Look at verse 26. Who's going to see? The disciples? It says they will see, right? That's not the disciples. They will see. He's speaking to the disciples. If he was talking to the disciples, he would have said, you will see. This is another indication that, that this, Jesus is not describing the temple's destruction in 70 A.D. They are the people who are alive during the day of the Lord, during this tribulation period. And notice it says they will see the sign. They will see the Son of Man coming in clouds. Matthew 24, verse 30, the parallel passage says, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all of the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. What will they see? They'll see the Son of Man coming, and they'll mourn because of it, Matthew says. The disciples asked, what's the sign? The sun's the sign. That's the sign of His second coming. You're going to see Him. All of this, the rest of this is, is, is the forecast for what's going, to, what's, what's going to happen. Who's going to come in the clouds? Jesus is not, is not going to sneak in. This is not a secret coming. They'll see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Listen, I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ has not returned yet. I can tell you that by this passage. It's very clear. He didn't come in 70 A.D. He didn't come only to a select few in their pajamas out on a hillside somewhere watching for Him. He didn't come to the American Indians like the Mormons say. How do I know? Because the sign of His coming will be the second coming itself, and all will see Him. Revelation 1-7. Behold, He is coming with clouds, and every eye will see Him. Have you seen the Lord come? No, and neither have I. Why? Because He hasn't come. But He is coming. And they that are alive during this period of time will see Him. And when He comes, He's going to separate his followers, and gather them for his kingdom. Here's the kingdom connection. Look at verse 27. And then he will send forth the angels and will gather together his chosen ones from the four winds, from the farthest end of the earth to the farthest end of heaven. I think of my grandfather whenever I hear this verse. Because he used to talk about when his children moved away from home, he said... My children are scattered to the four winds. And it's a figure of speech that Jesus uses here. The four winds. The four corners of the earth. And so they, those who are alive, will, will see the sign. The sign will be the second, the, the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and great glory. And then He's going to do something when He comes. Jesus says His coming will be a fulfillment of Daniel 
7, 13, and 14. Here's a quote. I know it's long, but bear with me, because there's a kingdom connection here. There's a connection in Daniel to verse 26 and verse 27. Verse 26 is the coming of Christ. Verse 27 is the preparation for the kingdom. And I'll show you both of those in just a minute. And right here it is in the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. Daniel sees the clouds of heaven, and one like a son of man was coming. There's the reference to verse 26. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. That's the Father. And to him, that's the Son of Man, was given dominion and glory. And what else? A kingdom that all peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. Who will be in the kingdom? Jews only? Well, there will be Jews and Gentiles in the kingdom. The kingdom was promised to Israel. But all peoples, nations, and man of men from every language might serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away, just like he promised the kingdom to David. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Now look at verse 26 again. Then he'll send forth the angels. I'm sorry. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and great glory. There's no presentation to the Ancient of Days because that's already happened. Now this is the the Son of Man who's already been presented to the Ancient of Days, to the Father, coming for His kingdom and to take dominion. In verse 27, He prepares for that kingdom. Those that are alive will see not the blessed return of their Savior, but the seated judge of their sentencing. That's why Matthew says when they see Him, they'll mourn. Are you going to mourn when you see the Lord Jesus? Oh, you might be embarrassed. You might think, oh, I wish I could have done more. I should have done more for the Lord. You might have, you might have those feelings. We're going to see that before we get done this morning. But a believer that sees the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't mourn. We rejoice. Because as bad as we've been, we want to see our Savior and we want to be in heaven. But when they see him, they mourn. And he sends forth angels. Notice there's another time reference in verse 27. Then, after they see him, there's going to be a gathering. No separation is going to take place until he comes. Just like Jesus said, leave the tares in the field until the harvest. But when he comes, he's going to send forth his angels and they're going to gather together. And the ones gathered are the ones that are going to enter the kingdom that Daniel said had no end. All of God's people will be gathered wherever they're at. Look at what it says. He'll send forth the angels and he'll gather the chosen ones from the four winds, from the the four corners. That just simply means all over the earth. But look at what else it says. From the farthest end of the earth to the farthest end of the heavens. These are not just the people gathered on earth. These are the people in the heaven, in heaven as well. No single believer will miss entering the kingdom. And not a single rejecter will escape judgment. The gathering of God's people obviously implies that there will be a group that they're going to be gathered out of, right? There are wheat, and there are also tares. There are sheep, and there are goats. There are believers. 
And there are unbelievers. There are those who will mourn whenever they see the, the, the second coming of Christ. There are those who will rejoice at the second coming of Christ and will be gathered unto the Lord and they will go in the kingdom with the Lord. That's what Jesus is revealing to, to His disciples. And the Bible says all those who have rejected Christ will gather in a final battle to face the Lamb. And all of His own will be, glad, will be gathered from wherever they're at on the earth to Him and will enter the kingdom that is immediately coming. And as I said, the church won't be here. We'll be the ones in the heaven, the farthest end of the heaven being gathered. But there will be believers on the earth and they'll be gathered up and we'll meet them together and we'll go into the kingdom where Jesus Christ will rule and reign. And Jesus says you should learn this so you'll know beforehand. The second thing He teaches them is the season of His approaching. The season of His approaching. Look, if you would, at verse 28. He says, Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. And here's the lesson. Here's the turn. Here's the point. Even so, you too, when you see these things happening, recognize that it or he is near, right at the door. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But of that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. So he tells them it's going to continue as it has been. Don't be surprised if you're a Christian and you face persecution. Don't be surprised if the gospel divides families, son against son, father against child. Don't be surprised that they're false prophets. You have work to do, though. You're to be witnesses. There's coming a, a day that's, that's much worse. It's, it's called the day of the Lord, the tribulation period. You'll know it very specifically. When it takes place, it'll be very specific. There'll be the abomination of desolation. It, it, will, it will have things that you have never, you can't even conjure up in your imagination. And then at the end of those times, the Son of Man is coming. And that'll be the sign. The Son will come. There won't be any other warning. It'll be immediate. Matthew says it'll be like lightning that goes from the east to the west. It will be quick. It will be universal. Everybody will see Him. And then He's going to gather everyone together for the kingdom, and He's going to leave the others gathered for the great and final battle. And now He says, you need to learn something beforehand. Here's a lesson. This is a command to learn. Now learn the parable. That's a command. You don't have an option unless you want to disobey the Lord. And then He says that what he's teaching is based on authority, the authority of his word. That's what he means in verses 31 and 32. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But of the day or the hour, the specific day, no one knows except the Father. He's fixed it. So the command to learn is based on the authority of his word. This is the second time God tells you to trust your Bible in this passage. He says, I've told you everything beforehand. 
And now he says, my words will not pass away. It's unshakable. He's told us all things before, and his words have authority. Now, there's a verse in this passage, this section, that seems to confuse people greatly. (laughs) Probably, I have no idea how many pages in commentaries and journals written about this one verse in verse 30. But I think that you're going to see that it shouldn't confuse you and probably shouldn't confuse anybody else. The verse is verse 30. Look at verse 30. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. That's kind of an interesting verse, isn't it? This verse alone reads uh, is, is why you keep hearing me hammer the fact that, uh, that this wasn't 70 A.D. Preterists believe, partial preterists believe, that, that everything Jesus is describing here took place in 70 A.D., And they'll say, see, right there, it says, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. And therefore, this was the generation that was alive whenever the disciples heard this message. And so, this had to have been something that took place 2,000 years ago. Or some just say that, no, that can't be possible. And Jesus is using uh, hyperbole. He's using figurative language. I mean, when he talks about the heavens shaking, the stars falling from the sky, the sun going black. I mean, that's just, that's just scary language. That's just trying to, trying to paint with a, with, with, with a word brush, saying it's going to be really, really bad. Some say that uh, this verse means that Jesus actually came while the disciples were alive. The disciples themselves were alive, and Jesus secretly came to the disciples. And uh, so all of this has already been fulfilled. But absolutely none of those can be true if you just look at the text. I mean, none of them can be true. Jesus says, learn a parable. Look at this. Jesus says, learn a parable from the fig tree. And the lesson is about recognizing the time, right? I mean, look at it. Now, learn the parable in verse 28. Learn the parable of the fig tree when its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know summer is near. So he says, learn a lesson from a fig tree. What lesson do you want us to learn, Lord? Verse 29, even so, when you see these things happening, recognize that it is near, he is near, right at the door. It's, it's It's a lesson about recognizing the time. You see that? The fig tree puts out leaves. When it begins to drop the sap from the roots, the... The bark on the fig tree begins to get tender, and then it begins to bud. And you know that summer is near. It's getting warmer. There's something about to happen. And Jesus has already used a fig tree once when when He denounced the leaders of Israel. He said they were all leaves and no fruit. You remember when He... He came to the temple and and He goes to find fruit on on the fig tree. He says there's only leaves. And now He says don't make the, don't make the, that mistake with Him. Apostate Israel was all leaves and no fruit. But when you see leaves on the tree, there's fruit coming and it's, it's the judgment. You don't have to worry about finding fruit on the tree that, that, that Jesus declares. When you see the leaves of tribulation, you know that He is coming. That's what He says. 
in verse 29. But notice again who he's talking to. Who's to learn this lesson? Well, those who see the leaves. And who sees these who sees the leaves, these things? Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, what things? The things of the tribulation, the abomination of desolation, the, the moon going dark, the sun going black, the stars falling from the, the sky, the Son of Man preparing to come. What are the things, the catastrophic events he just described? Those are the leaves of the second coming. The coming of the Son of Man is the summertime. And all of those things are the leaves. And when you see those, know that He is near. It is near. This lesson is for the same group that He mentioned back in verse 14. Look at verse 14. We already pointed this out, but I don't want you to, I don't want you to miss this. Look at verse 14. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be, let the reader understand. Who's he talking about? He's not talking about the disciples. He's talking about those who are going to read this after the disciples. Then those who are in Judea. These are the ones that are they're here during the abomination of desolation. Jesus clearly implies the disciples are not going to be here during the abomination of desolation. It's the readers that are to understand, the readers that are to flee. God in His mercy providing a roadmap of exactly what is happening for those in the future whenever this takes place. And He says the same thing in verse 29. Even so, you too, when you see these things happening... Recognize that it is is near. That's not the disciples. They weren't reading Mark. They were listening to Jesus. The disciples aren't going to be here to see the tribulation. In the end events that immediately precede Jesus' return, it's those who are alive whenever you see the abomination of desolation and all those things. That's the generation that will not pass away until all these things take place. That's what he's talking about. Truly, I say to you, this generation. What generation? Those who see these things happening. You see that? It's plain as day. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. And that includes the second coming of the Son of Man. The generation that sees the tribulation period is the generation that will see the coming of the Son of Man. That's what Jesus is saying. And so you need to learn the parable if you're alive during the tribulation period, you need to learn that He has told us what's going to take place in His Word ahead of time so you will know. The destruction of Jerusalem can't be a time of tribulation that has never occurred before creation until now because that would include Noah's flood. It wasn't a time like will never be because you had the Holocaust and worse things. You can't say that all of this is just hyperbole because it's too specific. It quotes the Old Testament. It quotes Joel. It quotes Isaiah. It quotes Daniel. And, and if Jesus is using hyperbole, at some point you have to say, well, either Jesus didn't know the Old Testament or he does, it doesn't mean what it says. And it does mean what it says. These things will take place exactly as Jesus said. This is a future event. 
And the generation that sees these signs, those alive during the tribulation period, they will not end. That generation will not end before Jesus comes. It's, it's what it means. It's that simple. But whatever you do, you better not explain away this prophecy. Because to do so is to call Jesus' authority into question. Look at verse 31. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Now, you've quoted that verse so many times and heard it other places that, that, that it may rip it out of the context a little bit for you. Heaven and earth may pass away. What's he been talking about? Heaven and earth passing away, right? The stars falling from the sky. The, the, the sun throwing everything out of orbit. Heaven and earth will pass away. All this is going to happen. Just as he described, they will. But my words will not pass away. What day or hour is he talking about in verse 32? But of that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor, nor the Son, but the Father alone. What day or hour? The coming of the Son of Man. What angels? The ones who have been called to gather believers into the kingdom. I mean, all is, I mean, it's all got previous context. Jesus says His words are more sure than the ground you walk on. The Bible is more trustworthy than the sun coming up every morning and the moon you see every night. You as a Christian, or, or someone who's not a Christian, when you don't even think about the sun coming up or the moon being in the sky. That's exactly the way you ought to feel about your Bible whenever you read it. You shouldn't question it. And I don't mean question it in the sense of digging in it. The Bible can handle any question of my little pea brain or yours. It proves itself over and over and over. God's not afraid of questions. What I'm saying is, there better not be found in you an evil heart of unbelief. And that's what Jesus is saying. His words are more sure. All, thing, all these things are temporary. Even this world that we, we find so much comfort in. But the word of the living God endures forever. And yet, while you should never doubt His Word, not even the Bible tells the exact day of His returning. You see that in verse 32? But of that day or hour. He clearly says, know the time, know the period, know that summer is near, know that these things are happening. He tells the signs. But of the specific day and the specific hour, no one knows. Not even the angels that are going to gather, nor the Son who's going to come when He's giving this message, but the Father alone. You see that? So don't believe anyone tells you otherwise. It tells you everything you need to know to get ready for. It tells you what's coming beforehand. It tells you exactly what will happen. It tells you even the generation of men that He'll come in. It tells you how to be saved from that wrath. But before Jesus' ascension, only the Father knew the exact day of Christ's return. And you say, I thought Jesus was God. I thought He knew everything. He is God and He does know everything. The Bible has an answer for that too. Very easy, very simply. Philippians chapter 2 says that when Jesus came as, and clothed Himself in human flesh, He voluntarily set aside part of, his, part of His divine attributes. He didn't lose them. He just didn't exercise them. And this is part of His omniscience that He set aside. But after He rose from the dead, when He ascended into heaven, He regained that. He, re, he resumed unrestricted omniscience. 
But when Jesus is giving this message to the disciples, you see both His deity who declares its coming and His humanity. That not even, not even the Son, the Father alone, knows the specific day or hour. And then Jesus tells us as disciples, we're to live looking forward to that day. That's verse 33 through 37. Verse 33. Take heed. Keep on alert. For you do not know when the appointed time will come. Of the day or the hour, no one knows. The angels, which are greater than, than you, stronger than you. The Son, clearly, stronger than you. The Father alone. You're to take heed, to keep on alert, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. And then he gives another story. It is like a man on a journey who, upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge, assigning to each one his task, also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. And here's the lesson. Here's the point of the story. Therefore, be on alert. For you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening, at midnight, the rooster crows, or in the morning, in case he should come suddenly, i.e., you wouldn't expect him to come, and find you asleep. And what I say to you all, I say to, to you, disciples, I say to you all, Timberlake Baptist Church, <laughs> be on alert. Five times, Jesus repeats a command in this passage to be on alert. Five times, at least. Literally, stay awake. Now, watch the change of audience in verse 33. He says, take heed, keep alert, for you do not know the appointed time. Before, it's those who are seeing the signs, and now it's you. He does the same thing in verse 35. 35. Therefore, be on alert, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming. Not the Son of Man bringing judgment, but the master of the house. Do you see that? In verse 37, what I say to you, i.e. the disciples, I say to all of my disciples, be on alert. They will see the sign of the, the coming of the Son of Man, but you must stay awake. I'm coming for them in judgment. I'm coming to gather you into the kingdom. And now here's the implication. Here's the application. While the generation alive during the tribulation period need to learn the parable of the fig tree and not doubt his word, we who are his disciples, who don't know when he's coming, he just know that he's coming, we must live with eternity in mind. We must live with the reality that our Master has given us a task to do and He's coming and we'll give an account to Him whenever He comes. I mean, that's the summary of what Jesus is saying here. They need to know so they can escape judgment about the fig tree. We need to watch so we can live for Him. And Jesus uses the same reality that no one knows. The appointed time will come. So we must live and be aware of it. They will die because of it. We must live in light of it. 
And that's the ground for the triple command. Watch out, be alert, pray. There has to be a single focus for believers. Because the danger of being caught unprepared, even while we work at daily duties. Look at the story that he gives. Take heed, be alert, pray. You don't know when the time is coming. We don't have to worry about the judgment. What do we have to worry about? It's like a man who goes away on a journey and upon leaving his house, he puts his slaves in charge. Who's he talking about? He's talking about his servants. And you're his servants and he's given you something to do, hasn't he? You know what it says? Assigning to each one his task. The task that God has given you to do. God has assigned you as his servant a task. And he singles out the doorkeeper. Regardless of the task you have, you're to act like a doorkeeper. Also, he commanded the doorkeeper to stay on alert. That's the story. That's the setting. That's what we're to apply to ourselves. And here's the punchline. Therefore, be on alert. For you do not know when the master of the house is coming. They're part of his house. They're his slaves. He was the one who assigned them the task. The doorkeeper is singled out. And the doorkeeper is the one who stands at the outer gate and he's there to, to throw open the gate whenever the master, whenever the master comes. It's an example of how all of his servants are to live. And that's what the command means. Therefore, be on alert. You don't know. The illustration is no longer when summer comes and heaven and earth pass away, but when the Master returns. This is to us. This is to you. What's the point? Well, the point's given in 35. The command to be on alert, for you don't know when He comes, when the Master of House is coming, whether in the evening or in the midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning. It's all specific language. The four watches of the day, from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m., the four watches of the day. He can come at any time during the four watches. All day, every day. And why is he saying that? What is the potential issue? Why does he command us to stay alert? To live as intent believers. Live in light of eternity. Why does he say that? Well, he tells us in verse 36, in case, if he comes at any time during those four watches, he should come suddenly, unexpectedly to you, and find you asleep. That's the command. That's why he's given the command. That's the potential issue. It would be sudden because you wouldn't be expecting it. Slumbering away. Instead of doing your work. And he ends with this. I say to you, and I say to all, including Timberlake Baptist Church, including Brian Farrell, be on alert. You see that? As the followers of Jesus, we're not to fear judgment coming. We are not to watch for tribulation. We're to stay awake and we're to work for the one we long to see. The one who has given us a specific task in the kingdom to do. We have general commands and each of us has a specific task to carry out. We don't sell our possessions and sit in the field staring at the sky. We use those possessions knowing they're His and knowing He's coming again and we'll give an account for them. 
The illustration says we've all been assigned work to do, so stay alert. Be watchful in light of His coming. That means you do it knowing that you'll see, see, see Him one day. Falling asleep means to start living as if this world is all there is and losing sight of why you do what you do. Don't fall asleep spiritually. Don't fall into the malaise because Christ is coming. This whole world is going to burn up, melt in fervent heat, and you will be with your Master. You only have one life. And standing before that Master one day, you'll not want one day wasted in the world's sleepy fog. Sadly, many Christians are wasting their lives on trivial things. They drive the Master's car. They live in the Master's house. They're using the Master's money. They're eating the Master's food. They're breathing the Master's air. They're walking around in the Master's body as if they're all not His. Or that they're not going to give an account for them. They're asleep. And the Master could be at the gate. And so Jesus says, Wake up, brothers and sisters. Wake up. Do your job. Do it well. Because He's coming. Is He coming? He's coming. Chew by your heads.